Welcome back to another episode of Chai Noon. And today we're going to talk about something that I feel like everybody has experienced, whether they're Asian or not, South Asian or not, but the idea of pressure. And of course, being that this is a South Asian focused podcast, we are going to focus our attention more closely on the South Asian community. But of course, if you are not of this ethnicity, it's fine. A lot of these studies can apply to you as well. And with me, I could have thought no one better to discuss this with than with Akib. What's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. As uh, We're going to hint to this subject, but I will say that this subject for me personally um, has been coming up more and more. And if you haven't listened to our last podcast where I was uh, me, Hanuk, and Akib talking about mental health, that was a lot more personal anecdotes, talking about things like inflection points, uh, more focused on the academics because that's a lot of things that are common areas of anxiety and things like that. But there are more sources of that. And so we want to discuss these issues in a more broader sense. And I actually found some studies. I actually did some preparation. Jesus, I'm amazing. But there's some actual <laughs> preparation on this. And I have some t- statistics because I do get a numbers boner sometime. So I wanted to reach out and talk about that with Akib uh, because he is doing clinical psychology and uh, he is uh, really, you actually got the most feedback on any of our guests so far. <laughs> so <laughs> shouts to you. <laughs> so we're just going to get right into it. So this has been happening more and more this winter for me, especially because I'm not really that happy in my current job and I'm trying to apply to new jobs. And I'm also trying to figure out if I want to do a master's and all these things that are just life choices. And I'm getting on an age, not really, but <laughs> we'll just pretend that I am. And so I have to juggle these desires or juggle these responsibilities. And I've been fucking Carla. <laughs> Talk about stressors. I know, seriously. All right, anyways. <laughs> We're going to talk about this as it approaches different life stages, uh, general pressure, uh, pressure in relationships, and general sorts of depression. So I want to open with this statistic. So according to the Asian and Pacific Islander American Health Forum, South Asian Americans, especially those between ages of 15 through 24, were more likely to exhibit depressive symptoms. Another report found that there was a higher rate of suicide among young South Asian American women than the general U.S. population. However, the report said South Asian Americans had the lowest rate of utilization of mental health services, which is a conclusion that should come as no surprise to anyone raised in the Desi community. So I just want to get your initial thoughts on this and if this is something that you've noticed uh, in your studies. Of course, you interact with people from a wide variety of backgrounds, but uh, being that this is sort of a South Asian-based podcast, I want to get your thoughts on this in general. Right. So many points to focus on here, but really this theme of this balance between you see this high level of distress among um, South Asians, particularly uh, young South Asians, yet the utilization of actual mental health resources you know, is very low. Um, so this is kind of a broader theme that will likely permeate throughout this um, discussion. But um yeah, absolutely. What I find interesting is that they found that South Asian American women have higher rates of uh, suicide um, overall. Um, and I believe it's more so than uh, South Asian men. Um, and this is a reverse of what you typically see um, just across like in America, uh, averaging across gender. 
you tend to see that um, women are more likely to attempt suicide, but men are more likely to actually complete suicide. Um, and there's different views on that. So it's really striking that we see this um, elevation in South Asian women. So gender is another uh, kind of level of this that um, we can discuss and talk about kind of what's different there in terms of uh, gender specific pressures. Um, right. So I want to focus on the ages in particular, 15 through 24. That is a very specific age group. And of course, a lot of this can happen. Like when I was talking about my struggles in the last podcast, this was the primary age when I had my most struggles. So I can definitely empathize with this. But uh, besides academics, why do you think that this age ages are so significant? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just looking at those numbers. 15. When is that? That's like middle school, kind of like. Yeah, freshman year of high school. Yeah, right. Um, I I remember that period of time in my life, and uh, those were like talk about the dark ages. uh, (laughs) Pretty rough time. Pretty rough time. Um, I think that's when you know a lot of identity and self kind of awareness starts to come along. Um, even if you look at like developmental research, um, Mm -hmm. you know people are starting to develop their identities, their sense of who they are. Um, and for South Asian Americans, we, you know, especially if you're first gen or second gen you definitely have that kind of a balance and uh, pressure from your family, you know, the culture that you kind of came from, but also this, you know, the Western culture that you're growing up in. So I think there's a mash there that um, happens. Uh, People typically start dating around that time as well. Um, And that's a contentious topic in the South Asian community in general as yeah. well um we're gonna hit so, on yeah. that a little bit later not not like uh dating in general but just the act of dating i suppose more than anything <laughs> right so it's when a lot of these expectations you know of behavior kind of who i am things i should be doing comparing yourself to other people really a lot of that um, starts happening and i think that's probably the main thing right and this is not just isolated to the us or the uk actually in india um, according to another study conducted by Scientific American. Of course, if you guys want these links, I'll be able to link them um, or I'll send them to you if you want to email them. I probably won't put them in the description. But uh, research published in the October issue of The Lancet Public Health reveals that in 2016, um, South Asian or Indian women accounted for more than 36% of female suicide deaths globally. Holy crap. Less than 18% of the world's female population suicides, the leading cause of death among Indian women ages 15 through 29, responsible for about 26 to 33 deaths. And then there's more things. And then India has the highest suicide rate among young and middle-aged women for countries with similar socio-demographics. Now, this is especially troubling and frightening uh, that this is just a reoccurring theme among Indian women South Asian women, of course, um, I did not look for studies outside of India, but I'm sure if there are studies similar to that, we'll find a correlation in general just because of the culture. But we're guys, we don't. So seeing this was a shock, like to me, the highest rate overall. Why do you think that women are so much more affected? And of course, later on, we'll probably get a female uh, mental health person to hopefully get Mm -hmm. this. But for now, we'll just discuss this amongst ourselves. Why do you think in particular that uh, this rate is so high uh, among women? Um, yeah, it's interesting that the suicide statistic um, continues even outside of America and the UK, like in India. So I'm just thinking about the more kind of global impact. Um, 
well, the world is kind of built for men, um, designed by men for men almost. So, so there's always that kind of oppress it, oppression uh, mm-hmm. factor that's present. Um, and back in India, where um, you know the values are definitely still much more conservative, even though it's it's shifting a little, but overall it's still quite conservative. There's you know just a lot of restrictions, a lot of even more expectations. So you know women likely have less agency, less power or perceived power. Um, in some cases, they may literally be controlled by their you know their their partners, their husbands, their you know families. Um, so they likely have much less autonomy and. You know, that's a recipe for depression, for sure. Um, they may just not feel that they have many options. Um, those are just some of the things that come to my mind. Right. And I just want to add one more thing about depression before we move on, because this could be a whole separate podcast just by itself. We want to touch on a couple of things. But I want to go back to the News Republic article that had the study. It said South Asian Americans had the lowest rate of utilization of mental health services. Um, I mentioned that previously. And this is no surprise for me. Like, uh, my dad, even as a doctor, did not understand mental health. And he admitted that, like, full props to my dad. He admitted that he tried to get me the best help possible and it worked. You know, I'm I'm doing much better now. Uh, but I think there is a state, not among, not just among South Asians, but uh, so in the news report of New Republic article, there is this story of this Indian guy who was working 100 hour weeks at Golden Sachs and his father told him to tough it out after his son came to complain. And then the son eventually killed himself because 100-hour weeks is not healthy. And I can't imagine this is isolated solely to Asian Americans. You know, oftentimes you hear just tough it out, buckle up, snowflake, all these things. Yeah. Why do you think, uh, is this more of a cultural adaptation where, like, you know, South Asians come to America and they say, oh, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. You just have to tough it out and everything will be good. Or is this something that's inherent in our mentality and in the mentality of humans that if we just keep going through all these times, um, we'll be able to make it through. And then that's why you don't really see the utilization of mental health services. Yeah, I think, you know, a big piece of it is just not understanding mental health, like not viewing it as something that one should get help for or whatever need to get help for you know it's like if you break an arm of course obviously you should go to the doctor and get a cast or something but mm-hmm. you know if you have a broken heart that's a lot harder to see um and measure so there's always already that undervaluing of like you know why you're, you're feeling depressed like what you know just take take a nap or something or get some more vitamin c and then you know continue on um so it's part of that but also just i mean we're really getting at toxic masculinity there like kind of the language you use even is just like you know like buckle up and get back to it um, yeah, there's that history of just suppressing emotion, suppressing problems and just, uh, you know, going on with things and not bringing them into public because then you embarrass the family. You know, it looks bad. It's weakness. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think uh, that's the primary thing. And you see this among all races. You don't want to trouble anybody else with your own issues. You want to feel like you can handle it by yourself because you look at your body. It's functioning normal. You don't need like cold medicine or get a cast on your arm or have surgery it's all in your brain and so it's like much more harder to pinpoint exactly what you should do at least in my experience i was wondering uh i know you can't really discuss like individual but in general trends uh have you seen less south asians in your studies um yeah absolutely yes overall um like just in terms of clientele um i mean uh, binghamton new york isn't the most diverse city but uh right uh, yeah, definitely so. And I think it's, I really do think it's a less 
just awareness of, you know, mental health and therapy as a field. Um, I've given lectures and then I've had uh, South Asian students actually come up to, to me and they they seem really excited and enthusiastic and almost surprised that they, you know, saw me lecture on, you know, different topics in mental health. Um, and they really want to speak to me about it um, because they're just so not used to that. Um, you know, uh, psych clinical psychology is predominantly uh, Caucasian women, mm -hmm. um, just statistically. Um, so even just being a clinician of color, South Asian, it's, uh, you know, it's saying that it's okay to talk about these subjects, um, uh, you know, it, kind of taking away the stigma. Um, but if we had more of that, I think, you know, the number of people seeking counseling in our community would certainly increase. But the problem is people are hesitant to have these discussions at all in the first place. And I think that's one of the reasons you got, you know, good feedback for the mental health podcast is because, you know, we're not used to discussing this in our community. Right. No, I, and also just speaking personally, again, my first therapist was an older white woman. I could not identify with her at all. It was a miserable experience. I just did not get any help. My second therapist was a white guy closer to my age. I could understand him a bit better, you know, it was fine, but it didn't really fix me. I sort of fell back into same patterns of anxiety and depression and things like that. My third therapist was a Pakistani guy and he was great. That was really, I felt like I could be completely honest because, you know, I didn't ask him, but I imagined that he felt similar to a lot of things about academics and things like that. And so I think uh, just sort of my general babbling advice is, let's say you do get therapist and it doesn't work out with the first one, just keep going. This is your life. This is your mental health. You can't really function well without it as a human being. So keep trying new ones. The first therapist is not going to be the best for everybody. Mine wasn't. My second one was okay. It was not the best, though. So uh, just keep looking out there and uh, you'll be able to uh, eventually find what you need. I'm pretty confident of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's research to that. Uh, the, the degree to which you like your counselor and um, feel that they understand your experience. So the stronger that is, the more likely um, positive outcome there is overall um, in terms of, you know, symptom reduction and just satisfaction with the treatment. Um, so, yeah, if you don't like your therapist, you know, it's okay to kind of say like, hey, you know, this isn't working out. Um, I want to see someone else. Um, unfortunately, I think too many people sometimes, you know, try a therapist, you know, they're already hesitant about going to speak to someone about like literally the most sensitive you right. know, details of their life. And then they might have like a, you know, not pleasant or positive experience. And then they decide to kind of like give up on it and not try counseling and just kind of decide that it's, you know, shit or not useful um, when you really, you know, you should try to find that good fit yeah exactly you just got to keep trying it's like uh <laughs> it, it will help in the end i know i'm sort of being fatalistic in my words but it does help <laughs> it helped me i know it's helped a lot of people and uh it can help you if you're looking to things but we've talked a lot about depression in another podcast if you want us to keep going about this we will but i just sort of want to move on <laughs> as i want to talk about just sort of the general state of information how the standard this lifeline or outline is like get into college, get into a top school, get a good job, doctor, engineer, very niche or not niche, but very specific fields. Marry, have good kids, take care of parents, raise kids, work, you know, retire, and then then you can start doing what you want. And so there's <laughs> a couple things I want to address with that. Um, one is that I think this could be good. You know, it's fine to have an outline. I did not really have a plan. I went to college, and that's why I sort of fell apart. I didn't have structure. But it could also be not so good because you might be comparing yourself 
let's say you grew up in a South Asian community and you see all these other kids doing really successfully and then you're like, why am I messed up? And then you see all these posts on Instagram and things like that. It's like everybody looks like they're having such a great time. So Mm. I want to sort of talk about like how the various filters of information change our outlook on the pressures that we face and sort of how we are pinned into a box, not just by our communities, but just what we see on the internet and things like that. And this is a bit more of a vague subject, so we don't have to get any concrete answers. I just wanted to bring that up because mm-hmm. I felt like that's something that's influenced me a lot. Yeah. Um, just I don't know, the first thing I thought of is just like growing up, hearing all the uncles and aunties and like other relatives, kind of like how their kids are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, so-and-so is, you know, just got a hundred on this thing or got this prestigious thing or whatever smart and just my family I, I think I'm we're a bit I'm a bit lucky they were never into the whole competition thing is kind of like you know lower our heads and just work on our own so I was protected a bit from that but it's always like if you're like a South Asian if you're a Deshi kid your whole life is like comparison like it's always exactly. being compared to something um and it I don't know, even in me, where it wasn't too bad growing up, um, I still have this, like, phantom force or that, you know, affects me when I, uh, if I don't, like, do amazing in something, you know, if I, like, get a lower grade or, like, if I wasn't fully satisfied, I kind of feel like, ah, like, you can do better, like, you know, you can definitely do better. Um, and I think everyone has that, um, but to different intensities. And unfortunately, I think on the darker end, um, it can be, you know, really extreme and really damning for one's mental health. Yeah. So I will say I had a bit more competition academically, and I sort of feel bad for my sister because she was older than me and she was compared to me academically. Um, but she did a lot better in college than me, and I was sort of compared to her, and like our cousins did pretty well for the most part. So, yeah, comparison is really a toxic it can get to a toxic point. Of course, you know, having a role model to look up to where you sort of aspire to be that. And, you know, if the parents introduce this role model, then it could be very well good. Um, mm-hmm. But taking everything to the extreme is more often than not, not good. Right. And there's so much of a focus on, like, what what's lacking, what's missing. It's like, yeah. you know, you, you get a 95. What happened to the other five points? Rather than, hey, you got a 95. Good job. But, you know. You know, you could do a bit, you could probably get 100 if you studied a bit more. Like, even that is a lot more positive and different in tone than just like focusing immediately on the negative. And I think, we, you know, Deshi kids grow up with that as well, just kind of that focus on, you know, flaws or like not meeting the mark fully um, instead of a celebration of like strengths. Um, so it's almost like we're obsessively just like constantly worried about failing, um, you know, which is going to have an impact on how you perform and your mental health. I actually just remembered this. So, you know, you've probably heard of the book, like The Ballad of the Tiger Mom with the Chinese woman, Yale Mm -hmm. professor. And uh, it was like, you know, she subjected her kids to very, like, uh, sort of extreme measures. And, you know, and then uh, I think the point of the book was like, her younger kid sort of rebelled against this and they're able to find some sort of relationship fixer and the kids are fine now but it was such a big shock when western community read it and i guess one study that came out was that asian americans south asian americans really are sort of forced into specific directions whereas western or i guess western parents give kids a little bit more freedom into deciding what they actually want 
Now, I want to know, like, I was never really forced to become a doctor, even though my dad was a doctor, but I was sort of guided very strongly towards science in general, which is fine. You know, I like science. I was wondering with you, were you sort of guiding this similar direction? Mm-hmm. I think we've probably already talked about this, but I just want you to right. reiterate. Yeah, it was definitely towards science. Um, and part of that, I do think, is a prestige thing. You know, like, yeah, I am a chemist versus, like, you know, I know about mating patterns and in the indigenous, you know, New Zealand community or something, whatever. Like, you know, part of it is that. But then I think for my parents, mostly it was, like, financial security, where mm-hmm. um, there was, you know, some realistic level of concern about whether, uh, you know, like an arts degree would be sustainable for me. Um, and I, I didn't exactly grow up rich. So financially, we weren't always secure. Um, so it was like a very much, you know, genuine concern. And I kind of understand that on their part, too. Um, so for me, that that's kind of how it went when I decided on psychology and kind of presented it to my parents and stuff like this is what I love. You know, my mom literally looked into like the national statistics, uh, like average salary and stuff for a psychologist and what mm-hmm. degree you'd need and all that. And she was like, OK, this is, you know, this is feasible. Um, but it was like, you have to go all the way, like you have to get a PhD. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I want to do that. Um, it makes sense. So it kind of converged nicely for me. So I was wondering, like, uh, have you noticed any trends away from this very specific, like, path that were designed to go on? Or do you think uh, it's sort of the same as it's always been Dr. Engineer? I'm just, I actually have no idea. I think it's sort of the same, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot more Instagram influencers, mm-hmm. like, you know, having a good life and chefs like that. And we've talked to a lot of people who are, uh, you know, living this sort of life that is, you know, great for them. But uh, I was wondering if you've noticed sort of a a similar direction or if it's sort of staying the same. So uh, I don't have statistics on it, but anecdotally, um, it has not changed at all. It seems to be the same to me. This is still very much a culture. If anything, I bet if they measured it compared to in the past, I would suspect that it might even be worse just because economically, you know, the world hasn't becoming a wealthier place. America isn't becoming a wealthier nation. Um, so there's even more economic pressure um, to succeed and kind of go into certain fields which are more rewarding. Right. And actually, I think May sort of the Western community is uh, more adaptive or sort of adapting more to the Eastern immigration community because you see a lot of people saying, oh, that degree is worthless. You're not going to find a job here. Oh, you sort of need to go up, uh, go into this field. And I don't know if that's like a good thing, like, it's just sort of hard to tell like all these things are sort of vague conceptual but you just sort of have to go with how you feel and I think it could be a good thing but I do feel like uh we're sort of getting a bit more homogenized and that leads to people being boring and I it appeared in my life I was extremely boring and now I'm trying to avoid that (laughs) but it does sort of concern me that like uh you know both eastern and western and all these cultures are sort of trending towards all right you have to do all so you can afford the college tuition, which is ridiculously expensive, and then live in these houses, which are ridiculously expensive. It's like these jobs are the best to do that. Yeah, isn't I think part of it is like a personality thing. Like, uh, like it's a shame Hannick isn't here, but I feel like he's a very like individualistic person. Where like he has a very clear. I mean, both of you are like you have a very yeah. clear sense of what you'd you know, like having your own life, kind of making your own decisions and stuff. But um, that and like finding your own path, you know, regardless that it may not be linear. But I think it, uh, a lot of people are actually totally fine falling in the, you know, tracks that are set for them or that are, you know, kind of decided or 
you know, by oh, sure. parents, by background, by society. Um, and I wonder, like, how much of it is just that, you know, like, of course, there's pressure, but it's also like they're more comfortable following that versus like maybe some people who are a bit more individualistic, um, you know, want their autonomy a bit more. Yeah, no, I mean, you hear all the time, like the grass is always greener. You see people who work in manual labor saying, oh, I was I wish I had a desk job because my back is killing me. My hands are killing me. And, you know, you see people at a desk job like. I am at a desk job and I don't really talk to people that much, which I'm, it's fine. I'm an introvert, but I stare at a screen all day. It's like, I wish I could go outside. I wish I actually tried for medical school. And I imagine, you know, doctors are saying, why the hell am I waking up at 1 a.m. to go on call? You know, I'm getting paid like a decent amount. Why am I sacrificing everything? <laughs> so yeah. grass is always greener, I guess. That's me. Why am I checking my email uh, from students at like 11 o'clock <laughs> Saturday night, you know, while I'm out at a bar? Like, oh, I didn't understand this question. I'm just, like, checking my email. Ugh. I hate it, but I also love it. <laughs> hey, that's good. As long as you love some parts of it, then that's all you need. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. That's true. So I want to sort of – we're going to hit this last part a little bit more in depth because this is something that I've been feeling a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it's about relationship pressure. Oh, and uh, this is more go. specifically focused on the South Asian community. This is not as much focused on the Western community. So sorry to any Westerners. Um, I guess I'm Westerner too, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but so like, I will just say straight up, I've been lucky that my parents have not really pressured me too much or at all. <laughs> One time my dad asked if I was gay, like when I was 25, I was like, no. <laughs> No, I'm not gay, Dad, because I never brought people home. I never had any... Dude, I got the exact same thing, but it was for my mom. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's like at a certain point, people are just like, why? Nothing's happening. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you gay? And he's like, oh, it's fine if you are. I was like, no. <laughs> but like that sort of speaks to the amount of low pressure I had. This happened at 25. <laughs> so it's just like... And besides that, I was like, you know, I was telling my mom, you know, more likely than not, I might have kids. She's like, okay, that's good. That's literally the amount of time <laughs> that we've talked about it. This is not, I know I'm very lucky in that regard, but this is, I've talked to other people, uh, you know, people I've dated, oh, you know, my cousin's getting married at 24, arranged marriage has happened before I'm like 28, getting too old, you know, before 30, I want to have a kid. All these various deadlines that people set for themselves or their parents set them. And so this is really, like, eye-opening to me, especially for women. You know, for men, you know, we're luckier. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to know, like, uh, in your experience, just among the South Asian community, and even in your experience, like, have you been feeling much more pressure as you've been getting older? Uh, you've talked about dating as well. So what's up? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll start with, like, a personal example and just kind of, like, trajectory of what it was like for me. So uh, it's freshman year, the day before high school starts. My mom pulls me aside at home and says to me, um, listen, like if you get a girl pregnant, you know, you're not allowed back home. Um, and it was like very serious. This was like yeah, comical. There was no laughing track in the back. Yeah, I, I barely knew anything about sex. I, I didn't even know how to talk to a girl. So like this was like a lot for me to take. Dude, my, um, I learned everything from sex uh-huh. on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> why I was a bit fucked up. <laughs> my parents did not tell me anything. It was that's how conservative. It's just like when you hit your mid twenties, all these things are supposed to magically happen. Exactly. You get in exactly. That's exactly what I was gonna get at. So like my that was all the sex education I got. 
So throughout high school, I didn't date. I didn't do anything. I barely talked to girls. Um, and then in college, you know, suddenly, you know, I went away for college. And then you know, my parents were like, why don't you have a girlfriend? Or like, why don't you talk to girls? I was I was at an American Eagle once with my parents. And um, I was waiting online to try on some jeans. And there was a cute girl who was like, you know, um, uh, for the changing rooms. And my dad was like, hey, like, son, what, why don't you go say something to her? Um, you know, if, back in the day, if I was your age, I'd be talking to her right now. And first I was like, dad, that's false. You're in arranged marriage with mom. Like you've been a date before that. And two, like, she's like five feet away. Like, why are you doing this? She's clearly like overhearing all of this. So there is that disconnect in terms of like, not going to tell you anything about dating or not going to push you to put yourself out there. But then at a certain age, you know, we're going to be like, all right, what's going on? Like, why aren't you dating? It's like, just pick one already, you know? <laughs> it's it is but um yeah like uh my I'm, i think i'm lucky in that we've gotten to a point or maybe it's just like helplessness and fear for the future <laughs> like, get my, over it. Like, my mom just started been, like whoever you find like the standards have just gotten lower and lower with each year that i get older and i'm like uh 27 going on 28 and they my mom's just like you know if they love you we'll accept them like i don't care um and so my parents are kind of like supportive but the thing is like I'm close to my family and I've like internalized kind of their expectations to some degree. So even though they tell me that, you know, they'll accept kind of whoever, like I still very much, I have that pull, like even on a first date, I can't help it. I hate it. But one of the thoughts I have in my head are like, how would they get along with my parents? Um, you know, it's like, would they like them? Do they seem to have good values? Are they close to their family? Etc. Like these things that were kind of instilled in me still affects my dating life, even though, you know, my parents are very kind of hands off um, in terms of that stuff. Um, and these do are, you have any of that? I will say that on first dates, I usually have no expectations. So I'm really loose and like relaxed. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing. I have not had that much success in, a, a success in getting second dates because maybe people are not taking me as seriously because I just am like very self-deprecating and, you know, just sort of like very loose in general <laughs> but I will say that um, I don't know if these are really my parents expectations I, I think like you know this might be hard to believe but I had it even luckier than you like <laughs> I mean my sister is still not married and she's older than me so like it, it's like you said as you grow older it's just like all right you know if it happens it happens <laughs> just like <laughs> I think that's sort of their attitude towards it but I will say that um, this might not be because of parents this might just be because of me I will say that I get on with the Indian women better, uh, even though I have no preferences in general, because I can relate to them and the parents can probably relate to them a bit better. But that's not really something that I thought of too much. It's more just me focused rather than, uh, and I think it's just because in that regard, I was in a high pressure academic environment, but low pressure relationship environment, like zero pressure. So mm-hmm. I know there are people who have high pressure academically and high pressure relationships and that especially for women I can't even imagine what that's like it's just probably you're just being crushed almost by expectations yeah it's 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 tough um on one hand I kind of know that like worst case scenario if I can't meet anyone I could always rely on that arranged marriage card that is like a bonus that we have I think um if you know if one is open to that um I'm not personally but still good to have just in case um (laughs) um but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a problem. It's definitely difficult. Um, like even when I, I seem to do better just with Caucasian women, I don't know why. I think it's because I like punk rock music and like medieval art and 
I haven't met many just people in general who are into that. I mean, I also live in kind of like an area that's predominantly Caucasian, but um, I, I find that I still look for certain traits that are, you know, more common in our cultural background. So that really maybe family orientation, you know, dallying of parents and stuff. Um, so I kind of like look for these things and prospective partners anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think, I think it's different for me because I had no Indian community around me. So I think I've said this many, many times on my podcast, like no Bollywood, no, I didn't even like Indian food for a long time. So it was just, <laughs> you didn't like Indian food what? for a long time because it was, south indian so it's vegetarian and it's all oh, okay. rice-based so idli dosa is all rice-based so there's only so much rice you can eat <laughs> and True that. like i'm fine not eating meat but sort of eating the same thing every day it gets very tiring very quickly so that's fair but now i like indian food it's fine uh, i want to touch back on the arranged marriage point i do have some more stats because i've looked them up even though it might not fit in here whatever i looked them up so I might as well mention them <laughs> so according to a psychology today article uh, arranged marriages in the U.S. are declining in general, uh, and the vast majority are happy. Uh, male participants loved more passionately and affectionately and more commitment to their marriages than female participants, but both scored highly. So it might have been like 95 versus 92. Mm-hmm. It's like, And uh, again, so I will talk about this in relation to this stat. I do feel like, personally, I would rather be alone um, just because I've, I've been like that uh, a lot of my life and I'm, I'm fine with that and I, I don't know if this will be the same once like in six months when I hit 30 I will probably just flip like oh Jesus Christ I'm 30 but it's there was a New York, New York Times article that said 91% of uh, Indian Indian immigrants to the U.S. would rather find a spouse on their own and I think this is sort of the case for a lot of students master's students undergrad students coming in and then there's a certain point where it's like hits 24 or 25 when they ha- they have these expectations back in India. It's like, oh, I have to do these things. And then even though they might want to still find the spouse on their own, they become much more open to the idea of arranged marriage. So I'm not – so you're not alone in like uh, – <laughs> even though marriage, Indian marriage rate is declining, um, you're not alone in like I, I'd rather find a spouse on my own. And that's – right. I'd, I'd want to do that in 98 out of 100 cases, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. It, but there is sort of the thought in the back of my mind, um, and I'm sure this is a thought for a lot of Asian Americans that arranged think, marriages um, have sorry, much less yeah. likely, much less likely to divorce. Yeah, oh, divorce. divorce. Yeah, yeah. And, that know, statistic always. <laughs> I'm going to say something about that statistic. I'm a little skeptical because in Asian communities, um, the social stigma and consequences of a divorce are arguably larger than that of. Um, a divorce in a Western, in America, where it's like boarding 50%, right? Um, especially if you're a woman in a, in a marriage, uh, a divorce might mean you may not be able to find another partner again. Um, you know, your family might, uh, you know, basically not disown or maybe disown, I don't know. But it just, it's not a desirable thing. So when I see that statistic, I'm always like, okay, yeah, but did they marriage, uh, did they marry, uh, excuse me, did they measure happiness in the marriage? as well in both partners um i'd be curious about that um i think you're probably right i never thought about it like that but that is kind of a statistic without that much context it's just looking at a range of marriages saying oh less like a divorce that's it but the underlying social structure is 
very close <laughs> in mm-hmm. uh, Asian communities, South Asian communities in general. Right. I've met uh, like many people who like you know are, like us are raised here, and um, their parents are kind of more traditional, and their reaction to arranged marriage when they hear it is like, no way, like I would never do that. Um, and one thing I just I guess is important to note is that it depends on how you define arranged marriage and how you view it. Um, so I think like a lot of people kind of automatically imagine the forced, you know, against your will to like meet people and choose one of them and then spend the rest of their life with them. Um, that maybe was practiced more back in the day, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a generationally thing. Whereas now I think it's a bit more modernized. Um, like parents might know of a family that have like a son or a daughter that's, you know, of an appropriate age and they might suggest meeting up or having dinner together, or having a phone call or whatever. And then if, you know, things seem to kind of go well or connect and their family seems okay, they keep talking to that person and then they discuss the possibility of marriage. So all that, that doesn't sound too terrible to me and it still could be considered an arranged marriage. So I think how you define it is important as well. Um, the notion has definitely modernized to some degree. Yeah, that's true. Like uh, even the girls I've dated, it's like, you know, I met these guys once or twice and just wasn't like, we didn't have that connection and said no. So there's still some agency there, even for women. Um, probably not as much as you would hope for, but things are getting better in that regard. Um, yeah, I was just thinking to myself, like, uh, maybe it's because I grew up in such a westernized place where it's like now I'm at sort of the point where you are or you just said like it's like uh this is like unacceptable if I if I do this then I'm sort of giving up I'm giving in I'm saying I have no confidence in myself and I wonder if that's actually the case uh you know it could be to the extent but it it really isn't for a lot of people a lot of people get it and are very happy so (laughs) I'm not sure this is something that is uh really hard to pinpoint in this conversation but it's definitely something to think about it's funny. I was always kind of like the same. Like if anyone mentioned arranged marriage, I was like, absolutely not. Like no way. And then one day I was like hanging out with like a white friend of mine and I mentioned arranged marriage and how like, you know, my pa- parents, my relatives want to introduce me to someone. And then they were like, dude, like you're so lucky. Like, you know, I would have, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, you know, your family and society will find like, you know, a partner for you. And then I was like, like, whoa, like, yeah, I could see that being a positive thing if you, kind of maybe aren't into mm-hmm. dating or you know it's a difficult thing for you like in that sense it is a kind of a nicer thing to be able to have so it really depends on your perspective your experiences who you are right right so uh, since you brought it up i have to ask you if your parents have actually done that uh, they found so my- girls <laughs> just get- i think just uh as a quick i think my parents would if i asked them to um uh, but I've never asked them to, and I don't really feel like asking them to. I was wondering if you had sort of a similar experience. Um, so the only people I know that are bigger losers than myself in this world are my parents, really, um, in terms of not having, like, social networks. So, like, you know, they literally don't really know people. Like, we're a very insular family. We don't really go out much. So it's like, my parents, literally, who, who are they going to call? Who do they know? Like, no one. But uh, finally, <laughs> exactly. my, my other relatives, you know, they, they kind of have chipped in and kind of mentioned. So I went to Bangladesh uh, in December and um, I got to see my extended family who I love and I'm close to and I like. 
and they kind of like ambushed me you know like they're all like sitting around me and you're kind of inside I'm just like you know drinking my tea and it's like what's going on like <laughs> and then they're like listen you know you're you're in your late 20s like you got your career set you're gonna have your doctorate um your you know your parents are getting older like your grandma's you know old like she'd like to see you married she'd like to see a grandchild before she passes and then they started like talking to me about that stuff and I'm like oh no Oh gosh. We have a neighbor who has a daughter who's uh, you know, wants to go to med school and I'm like, oh really? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that kind of stuff has happened, but I've never been open to really actually meeting someone. I mean I've told my parents if you can find a girl who's like seems like she'd be interested in the types of things that I like and you know, she's cute and not like the zodiac color or something, like I'll meet her, but uh generally like I'm not really for that. I, I do have to ask if you're an only child. Yes, I am. Okay. That's Can't you tell by how narcissistic I am? <laughs> Dude, you're talking to a fucking king narcissist over here. <laughs> Half the podcasts are just devolving into me, like, bitching and moaning. <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> um, so I have an older sister, and uh, she uh, pushed back on my family quite hard. So I think... Uh, <clears throat> nice. She, she did the back work for you. Yeah, she hasn't gone back to India either. I went back to India first time in a long time. So no ambushes for me. And it's just like, it's, we are also very insular, but all these people in the States uh, are also quite insular themselves. Our closest relatives are in Pennsylvania. And so like, it is sort of weird, unless you live in like a hotbed of these South Asian communities, like relationships are not really something that are discussed like I went when I went to India, nobody discussed it with me. I was like, yeah, I'm sort of dating around. You know, it's fine. It's like okay. I think they wow. might just be worried that I'll, I'll never see them again because it was so long since the last time I saw them. But it gotcha. was a, a little bit weird because um, I don't know. I guess my family's just been super cool about that. So I am definitely lucky in that regard. Have you heard any horror stories in general? Yeah, uh, I mean, just on the South Asian like forums that I browse, just like things of like you know kind of like going back to you know india or bangladesh was like a family vacation or whatever and then it's like oh let's you know hey look who came to dinner <laughs> and and it's like a marriage you know like candidate or something or like in even in america like kind of the parents doing the work usually the like mothers or aunties kind of like without the person knowing like actually talking to matches um i heard that on like dill mill have you ever like used that yeah so that's our bad relationships. <laughs> it's a oh nice. Uh, it's a, like a South Asian kind of like dating app. Um, and so like a lot of like mothers will set up profiles there for their like for their for their daughters or sons um, to meet people. And then like you could be talking to someone, and it's like you're talking to someone's mom. And really, you know, you, yeah. Oh yeah, I've heard, definitely heard of that happening. I heard that people. happened on Shadi. I didn't know if that was a thing on the online. I always underestimate older generations tech skills which i shouldn't because i'm awful with tech even though i am in tech <laughs> i dude i used to get like a lot of matches on dill mill when i first made it and then i like changed my profile because i was attracting a lot of girls who like seem to want to get married like very soon i was like uh like, let's have dinner first uh but then i changed my description to um if you're looking for your uh, stereotypical bollywood prince it's not me and then i i, I stopped getting matches so <laughs> I, I think that was a failed experiment but anyway, I digress. But yeah, like you can run into parents uh, managing profiles. And I've heard of people finding out and then like, you know, just becoming incredibly 
angry and frustrated and hurt um, at, you know, at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then there's even some greater restrictions, like a girl uh, I was dating, you know, she lives in the Northeast and uh, her parents set up with somebody from like Alabama. And so she had to go to her uncle's place in the South, you know, meet with this person all this time that for poor guy, I guess poor guy, he drove up like 10 hours and uh, she didn't like him. So one way, but like uh, there are even more restrictions. Like you have to get married to somebody in your, in your cast. For women, it's definitely much harder. For men, I think uh, people don't people don't care as much if they're bachelors, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I guess that's that's okay. <laughs> women definitely have more pressure in that regard. So that's actually something I I don't understand. Kind of like the notion of like having to being expected to marry within your very specific ethnic group. Like India is anything but homogenous, right? It's like so many different subcultures within that, the different dialects and communities so it's like if your parents if your family expect you to marry someone within from your specific community like i don't know i grew up in new york city so i was used to diversity but if you're living in like i don't know kansas or like birmingham in england or something i don't know if that's a small city but uh like how are you gonna meet like much less like a south asian person but then like someone within your specific group like how does that work exactly i don't think it does work like you, have, it works in very rare situations because, you know, girls have preferences too. They may want to only date a guy from the states or only a guy from India, and then uh, if you're, you know, you're going to find these people in India, you're not going to find all these people very yeah. states unless like you really get to know them. Right. And that's only happening through dating. And then, like, uh, yet yeah, I think I've heard from my dates that they've had to hide their dating from their parents. Uh, so it's just. It's unfortunate. Um, I mean, this is something that I've sort of felt a bit more pressure, mostly because I'm getting older. But I think that's more of a standard Western American type thing. You know, I'm getting older. I need to figure mm-hmm. out what I want to do. But mm-hmm. I think uh, in the Eastern and India and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Sri Lanka and all these places, this happens six years earlier than what I am right now. And it happens <laughs> in an instant and like it's uh very specific and all these things but you know yeah. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit weird i don't know it's tough man for sure it is a lot of that pressure i feel that too i'm entering my late 20s well i'm in my late 20s or the last third of my 20s if i like <laughs> to say something i'm uh, <laughs> one of the later thirds of my 20s um but yeah definitely aware of it i mean trends are changing people are just overall like american millennials Mm -hmm. are getting married at much older ages they're moving back in with their parents you know they're really kind of like focusing on careers uh you know men and women um so i think things are changing a little bit and if so if you live in like america like you're kind of pulled along with that cultural phenomenon but um yeah we'll always feel a bit of that pressure to you know anchor down and marry and have kids and all that yeah and there are even more pressures like I know some people have to have their parents move with them and my parents mm. are you know I'm lucky enough that I don't think that will happen and if it does happen that's fine like I like my parents <laughs> and I've lived on my own for a long enough time but it's just uh all these sorts of things are sort of expected of South Asians and some could be good like high achievement is arguably 99% good <laughs> you know getting right. stable marriage 
is also arguably very good. Probably inarguably very good. <laughs> I don't know about the. I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm sort of playing both sides of the fence. <laughs> but then there are aspects which pressure can sort of make you crumble, and uh, I've experienced some of those aspects. Um, so. I guess, uh, you know, we've talked in the last episode about like various ways you can reach out to mental health specialists and things like that. Uh, what about things you can do on your own um, besides, you know, exposing yourself to depressing places, uh, mm. you know? Well, related to, I mean, just pressure and a lot of that typically comes from one's family. I guess this is just the realization that your parent grew up in a time that's different culturally. It was a different context, a different environment. So their view of the world is based on their experiences. Um, and very rarely do I believe that like, you know, parents genuinely want harm for their children or like something bad. Like, no, they're usually invested in, you know, their children's happiness. But the problem is their notion of happiness or what would bring about that happiness is based on their experiences from a time and literal location that, you know, is different from that which you're growing up in. So I think once you understand that, it might help, you know, reduce a little bit of that anger um, at them and kind of like the sadness and, and the pain. Um, but just having a communication like with your family and your parents, like being forced into an arranged marriage isn't isn't going to isn't going to work. Like they literally can't force you to get married, for example, mm -hmm. um, or even academically. So you mentioned like it's arguably good to like get good grades or like, you know, get into a marriage. But it's like it's a spectrum, right? It's like, yes, it's good. But at what cost the cost is important yeah you know if you're obliterating your mental health if you're overlooking red flags in a potential partner just to get married because you're you know 29 and you, you need to um then i feel attacked it's, it's not worth it so that just my brain just went there i'm sorry I I that that <laughs> i'm just kidding um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like yeah like it's, it's at what cost and i think the parents typically don't understand that like you know we need to be able to take their perspective and they need to be able to take our perspective. It's not always possible, but I think it's worth at least trying to have that. And then if, if, if they're not having it, if they're not willing to meet you at least somewhat halfway, at some point you just have to take responsibility for your own life, you know? Do you wanna live your own life or do you wanna live the life that they want for you? That's a decision, that's a decision you can make. Um, yeah, so ultimately like it, it's, it's up to you and it's a tough discussion to have, but I think it's an important one. And, more likely to be productive compared to just like, you know, constant arguments, screaming at each other. Like, you know, no one ever comes out looking good from those things. Yeah. And like you said, like, uh, they'll very likely be open to any sort of uh, feelings that you have because they want what's best for you in the end. <clears throat> and they might have ideas what they think is best for you, but <laughs> you know yourself better than anybody else, even mm -hmm. better than your therapist or anything like that. So you can sort of uh, find yeah. uh, happiness and fulfillment in your own life. Like, let's say you just do whatever your parents say. It's like, all right, I'm, I, this might be a little bit morbid, but like, you know, what happens when you're 60 and they are gone, unfortunately? Then mm -hmm. that is something that is uh, probably not something you want to think about, but uh, is something that has to sort of be thought of. And then if you're going to when you have your own kids, are you going to pass down these same values that you found so restrictive just because it worked? But you sort of know why it worked. It was because of your hard work. It wasn't because of these things that were forced onto you. So I don't know. It's it's sort of a cycle, but it is getting better in my experience. I can't say for yeah. everybody. 
Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, and yeah, there will come a day where you just have to live by the consequences of your own actions. Um, and yeah, your parents may not be there. Um, you'll have to live with the career choice, you know, you kind of chose and the family you have. Um, and so really being conscientious about that down the line. I was thinking even the parenting podcast with um, Maneka that you had, I really enjoyed it a lot, kind of hearing that perspective of someone who's grown up, you know, in... With yeah, she is way too well-adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she's quite well-adjusted. But just kind of like growing up with that, and now that she's in a position where it's, it's, she's the parent and she could choose to kind of, you know, enrich, instill those same values that she kind of grew up with or mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, adjust it as needed. Um, and it's it's kind of a crazy process. I mean, I can't imagine being a parent yet, but yeah, being in that position where you could repeat history or, you know, kind of like take it towards a more adaptive or positive direction. Um, so with that, I think people, it, you know, it can change for the better um, as we have these discussions, kind of realize these things, the impact they have on our kids and stuff um, and, you know, work on nurturing and embracing them and building up up for success, whatever that means for them, you know? Yeah. Or just burn it all down. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> not actually that. Not actually that. All right. So I think we're pretty much done. Um, I did want to ask, uh, since this is a lot of like uh, pressure and deadlines and stuff like that, your PhD, almost done? Enough said. Enough said. A few more years to go. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll be here physically, you know, still like physically on this earth in in spirit and body once that process is done but i'm just hanging on to the best that i can with as much social support as i can you know get from people but i'm doing okay thanks yeah exactly and uh you know you don't have to tough it out (laughs) i guess (laughs) (laughs) we've come full circle exactly you know (laughs) i don't know i was gonna close with some various babbling thought that has no relevance um, I will say that a lot of this has sort of been brought on um, because, you know, I'm, I want a job switch. I need to sort of find this relationship, like I mentioned, or I want to sort of figure that part out in my life. And then there's family things, uh, you know, parents are getting older. So it's a lot of pressure, but I want to explain that uh, you can cope with these things just talking about it with your parents. I always talk with parents, talking with your friends, your siblings, who you feel like uh, these things are unreasonable. So uh, mm-hmm. it's been... Or even with a guest who you just sort of message randomly on Skype one day saying, hey, want to come on for a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You don't need to podcast. You can go to like discords and forums and things like that. And uh, you might feel like I'm sort of just complaining. But if you if you never sort of vent, then you're just going to build up a lot of frustration inside. So finding whatever space you feel like you can be unshackled can be really important. The worst thing you can do is just kind of keep it all to yourself inside, you know, because I guarantee if you try to talk to someone about it, you know, they'll they'll uh, understand at least some of your experience and be able to relate to it. And that, you know, even if it might not change, not be able to change your actual circumstances, just that validation from another human being that, like, I'm not alone in this experience. You know, that's priceless. Yep. So I think that's a a good message to close on. So uh, anything else you want to say? uh no happy 2020 to everyone good luck with the rest of the year yep and of course if you have any more questions if you have topics or stuff like that follow us on our social media email us uh it's all in the description leave us reviews 
things like that. Hanuk is actually working in Africa. He's not always on vacation. He's he's working, <laughs> but he's still in Africa, so the schedules might be a little bit messed up for a little bit more of the foreseeable future. But uh, we're going to talk to his um, more positive people <laughs> than the last couple of weeks, <laughs> which you sort of get all the spectrum here. We're going to go back to some uh, good interviews and, you know, even uh, talking about experiences that are not always so positive and rosy. I think I feel like I learn a lot and I hope you guys do as well. So leave us emails. Uh, feel free to email us if you want to email Akib. Email to, uh, we know his email, uh, but don't spam him. <laughs> so we'll carefully curate them and all that stuff. So thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you all next time.